This Capital Ministries Bible study from President and Founder Ralph Trollinger is entitled Societal Deterioration and the Epical Analysis of a Bungling Church. The church is the pillar and support of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15, which God intends to herald His Word in into a fallen world via evangelizing and discipling the lost. So it stands to reason that the degree to which the church fulfills its calling is the degree it is a preserving and illuminating force in a fallen world. Cross-reference Matthew 5, 13-14, more specifically, in a given nation. But we will see throughout the major epics of American church history the many reasons she does not fulfill that specific task. In fact, her efforts to engage culture have been characterized by many clumsy mistakes. The church is bungling her calling. Bungling means making or characterized by many clumsy mistakes. As you read and reflect on this series, I think you'll agree with me that the word is an appropriate encapsulation that best depicts, by and large, the American church's ineffectiveness in bringing about positive change in our deteriorating nation. For nearly one half of a century now, the American church's major emphasis and involvement in D.C. has been attempts to change the laws of the land, laws based in biblical precepts, in contrast to the enactment of laws that are untethered to scriptural precepts, are certainly important and worthy objectives. And many in office who name the name of Christ are heavily invested in that noble purpose. But notice from Luke chapter 3 that there is a more important discipline and objective that every believer and the church as an institution should be preeminently committed to in order to change the direction of a nation to combat societal deterioration. Allow me to state it this way. If manifesting biblically-based principles in civil government is a good pursuit, Luke 3 reveals an even more excellent pursuit. Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 14 reveals God's means to change a culture in the here and now. May that which is good not diminish or eclipse that which is excellent. In addition to understanding the message of Luke 3, 3 through 14, let us also and importantly trace the biblical proposition of Luke 3, specifically the lack of application of Luke 3 throughout American church history. Put on your thinking cap. What follows is the first study in a three-part series that examines the primary calling of the institution of the church relative to each of five major epochs in American church history. I think you'll find the series most interesting and impacting on your life. Our introduction. Church pastors and leaders have engaged in much heated debate over the past 45 years as to how the believer should best engage in societal preservation illumination, and change. This discussion is anticipatable given America's moral decline. In fact, the topic was my main focus during my eight years of seminary training. While both sides of the societal change debate represent noble motives and seek the same objective, how to best achieve it is controversial. This week's passage makes a strong and simple case for the following. The believer's emphasis on hard change will assuredly result in law and societal change. Embracing hard change is to embrace the long game, whereas to embrace law change 
tempts the believer with the promise of quicker results, which may not be achievable or even sustainable due to the essence and very nature of the political process. Luke chapter 3 is an insightful passage regarding the guaranteed social benefits that inure to a country where and when the church prioritizes and centers on evangelism. Following our excerpts from that somewhat lengthy passage that will enable you to quickly see my point. Contextually in this passage, the he is John the Baptist, who precedes the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He was an evangelist who preached the need to repent as a necessary component to receiving Christ. Otherwise, when you think about it, why do you need to be saved if in your heart there is no acknowledgement of being lost? Other than feeling a sense of personal lostness, why would you seek Christ for his forgiveness? And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. 3 verse 8. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Verses 10 through 14. I have purposefully edited the passage in order to emphasize and clarify the point of the study, to simplify its read in a way that makes the social implications of John's evangelism immediately apparent. All were profoundly affected by John's preaching and possessed an internal Holy Spirit-driven curiosity, an unction characterized by and resulting in the same question, what shall we do? The large crowd that John drew represented much of society. Luke identifies the first of the three cultural sectors in verses 10 and 11 as the multitudes. The second curious sector, identified in verses 12 and 13, were tax gatherers for the occupying Romans. And the third section, verse 14, were some soldiers, Jewish soldiers most likely. The Pharisees regarded these professions as questionable. But before providing a brief examination of each, it is important to note that John the Baptist is not preaching that these people give up their professions. Rather, he instructed the people to remain in their professions, but to behave honorably and honestly. This is an important distinction to recognize relative to the thesis of this study. John the Baptist is preaching that conversion should lead to the betterment of society, not a withdrawal from it that those who are converted to Christ will turn from their former sinful ways and lead lives pleasing to God. The implication in this passage is that true repentance will always result in a certain form of behavioral change. Let us examine these groups one at a time. A. The Multitudes These commoners were curious regarding the implications of conversion and were told by John, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none, and let him who has food do likewise. 
A tunic was customarily worn under one's outer garment for extra warmth. Sometimes, two were worn or an individual had an extra one. This instruction serves to illustrate the principle, love your neighbor as yourself, as taught by Moses in Leviticus 19.18 and Jesus in Matthew 19.19. Accordingly, the first illustration of the implication of salvation is that we will love others like we love ourselves. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. What a great world this would be if everyone practiced this ethic and culture. Here then is the first implication of what the Bible teaches. There is a relationship between conversion and societal betterment. B. The Jewish tax gatherers. Tax gatherers were perceived to have sold their soul to the occupying Roman forces and were despised and hated by their fellow countrymen. In fact, the Gospel writer Matthew, prior to his conversion, was a Jewish tax gatherer. Often they would exact a tax that was far beyond the profit margin necessary to stay in business and allowed by their Roman franchisor. John addresses this very thing. Collect no more than what you have been ordered to he says to the onlooker who is counting the cost of coming to Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2.5, Paul states to the believers there, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Greed is characteristic of selfish, fallen individuals and is often the motivation for the exploitation of others. John has just said to the multitudes, Love your neighbors. Now he is saying to the tax gatherers, Don't rip off your neighbors. Here then is another cultural implication of repentance and conversion, the curtailment of greed. When one comes to Jesus, he fills the void so as to recharacterize a person's inner being. Someone who is filled with Christ is not in constant want. What a different place this world would be if true of everyone. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1. Soldiers. The last of the three illustrative groups that Luke records are the soldiers who came to John the Baptist. Most commentators agree that these were Jewish soldiers who provided protection and enforcement for the Jewish tax gatherers. John is literally telling them to not extort money by violence. The Greek word he uses means to not shake violently. If you are coming to Christ and desire His Lordship in and over your life, it means you won't shake down people anymore. John tells the powerful in society that if you desire to follow Christ, it means you will no longer misuse your power to take advantage of others, but rather be content with your wages. What a different place this world would be if those in power did not practice violence, leading them to Christ is the biblically revealed solution to such abuse. Conclusively, Luke 3 is a powerful passage that serves to illustrate the pragmatic implications of societal betterment that stem from a church solely focused on soul conversion. Each individual representing the three segments of culture is instructed by John to bear character qualities that will most certainly benefit society. Here, then, and it is very simple to see from the redundancy of the passage, is the best way for believers to affect societal change in the long run. To disagree with this is to 
disagree with this simple, clear narrative passage. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul declaratively states the same thing that Luke has illustrated via the life and preaching ministry of John the Baptist, that prior to coming to Christ, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked, 2 verse 1. We all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 2 verse 3. But to those who have repented are regenerate in Christ, Paul states, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. The sequence of both Luke and Paul's passages served to illustrate the contrasting nature between those who are unregenerate versus the repentant who have bowed the knee and come to Christ. Cross-reference John, chapter 1, verse 12. Many other parallel passages exist, but if you have no more time to further listen to this study, I have herein made my point. Evangelizing the lost is the biblically revealed means by which the church is to go about changing culture. Parts 2 and 3 will provide you with a more profound understanding as to how the American church has repeatedly bungled, in fact, in every major epoch of its history, the simple message that John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul herein heralded. In its attempt to change the country by focusing on better laws, American evangelicalism has discounted and woefully underemphasized the power of what John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul are illustrating, evangelism. And look at what has happened. The nation has only gotten worse. It has not changed for the better. In the past 45 years of attempting to change laws more so than hearts, the Christian activist movement has little to show for its efforts. The country is increasingly secular and increasingly sticking its finger in the eye of God. Would you agree with me that it is time for believers to make evangelism a priority in the capital? With the diminishment of the religious right movement in recent years, the time is now to discover, commit to, and emphasize the simple biblical formula for effecting societal change as illustrated in Luke chapter 3 and the book of Ephesians. What follows is a brief history of how this lack of a what I will hereinafter summarily refer to as a Luke 3 emphasis has played itself out in American church history in its underemphasis on evangelism. What follows will provide a broader historical perspective relative to this important topic and will result in helping you shape a better informed, deep-seated conviction concerning the preeminence of evangelism relative as it not only relates to building God's kingdom in heaven, but also to social change in our nation. What follows is an examination of this matter via the major epics of American church history. Next week in part two, we examine the eschatology of the Puritans, and the encroachment of theological liberalism. This concludes our Bible study for this week. May God bless you deeply. Thank you for all you do in our great country and on the Hill. This is Frank Sontag.